From Kira, this is Educate Futures. I suppose the thing that comes up, I well, the, the first thing that comes up for me that I hear a lot is, oh, I just wasn't prepared for this or I'm not ready for this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from workload or effort. Uh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of that is just the increased administrative load of yeah. student emails and responses, yep. facilitation yep. being consultative in the sense that asking students questioning and uh, questioning techniques that are more open-ended, uh, allowing for bleed time with discussion, but then also, oh, I'm not getting through all the content I thought I was getting through, you know. Yeah. So it's that that ability of letting go or jettison, jettisoning the content that mm-hmm. perhaps traditionally is covered in a in a normal uh, semester, but also having the freedom to be like, well, maybe we can start to question, negotiate what should stay and what needs to go in favor of discussion with turn taking that has to happen on a, on a virtual platform like Teams or Zoom, for example. I think the really important thing is that you um, teachers, when they move to online teaching, need to give up the idea of covering content completely because it's not what is happening in the online environment. It needs to be um, facilitation of learning. It's a completely different way of thinking about it. So that is something that people really um, need to let go of. And um, there's two other things that I was just thinking about while you were talking. So I started um, working online when online started back in the 1990s. And one of the things that was really difficult for people, because this was an entirely new environment, was the whole concept of beyond being there. And I think that's a really important aspect as well, because people um, think that being there is best. And so to understand what is best about this new environment and what is not so good and how we can capitalise on what is best about this new environment. I think that's another um, important aspect. I remember when I was in was teaching in Singapore and we introduced the idea of blended learning. Um, instead of having two times two hours lectures or, or tutorials, because in my centre we don't do any lectures, um, the resistance was around um, having that two hours online, but not having enough um, time to actually explain the instructions of what students need to do. Teachers found themselves um, management thinking that it's now reduced to two hours a week, meaning you can actually take on more classes. <laughs> but as actually, it turns out it was untrue in terms of workload, because when you're not seeing students face to face, you're actually spending a lot more time addressing to their queries one by one through email or through discussion board or through any means that they come through, um, through the LMS. So that was something that um, we didn't have that in mind at the beginning when we're starting um, to move online, that actually um, instructions, instead of usually as teachers, when we put instructions on a PowerPoint slide, it can be pretty brief and we elaborate in class. For, um, you know, that's the face-to-face teaching. Once you move online, those instructions have to be much, much clearer so that students know exactly what they're doing because um, they're no longer relying on some synchronous teaching, no, no, no one around to actually help you elaborate. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's, Siri, I'm going to pick up on that too, because I think yeah. that's something that's bundled into this whole sense of effort is the hard coding of the learning. So preparing mm. materials for mm. online and having to have those instructions really explicit because, mm. I mean, it, it, it's, it can save you time, you know, in the long run, that the more instructional text is written and scaffolding and the explicitness around directives and repeating the same information in different ways. What you're doing, hopefully, is you're trying to capture a, a really consistent set of um, 
expectations for the student and you'll you'll minimize your inbox load actually and the questions that you receive from students goes down so there's a, there's a there's an efficiency in that i think that 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 really helps it does require you to spend a bit more time you know again writing those instructions and setting up your lms or vle page but as you know i've I, i've repeated this a few times with uh, in my former life, I was a an avid hiker, and I remember being in Nepal, and the Sherpa would say to me, well, when you're at the summit, you're only halfway because you have to turn around and come back. And it's a nice little anecdote because I think about online teaching and the preparedness you need to have to get ready for week zero. You almost have to pre-teach the course. You have to have everything ready and set up prior to week zero, and then class obviously starts. And there is sometimes a sense of fatigue because then you have to deliver the class, the facilitation, the tutoring starts then. But of course, if you've put the legwork in early, uh, you know that you, you almost have done a, a pre-teach, but a lot of that has been, um, you know, writing those instructions and setting up the page in a way that, that makes sense. So it's understandable yeah. that everyone feels uh, some exhaustion when it does come to the delivery phase because the development phase has been, been so rigorous. And I guess that's something, you yeah. know, you go. Yeah, um, something that academics are not used to, because when we're thinking of a 12 or 13 semester, 13 week semester, usually we prepare half. We want to test out our materials because every cohort of students are different. Sometimes we prepare a certain set of materials we realize is too high, we realize too low, and we use that time to actually adjust to the level of um, of the needs of our students. And we want to have that flexibility of having um, the chance to move it around a little bit before we develop, you know, the second half of materials and having to front load that effort is something that we're not used to, um, especially in, in, you know, face-to-face -face teaching. So now online and then almost like you said, Tom, having to pre-teach the course before week zero is it's something like unheard of. And then people that are um, with the subject matter experts and course coordinators that I've worked with as a learning designer role now that I'm in, um, it's quite difficult to wrangle them to actually put that effort up front because they say, we're not delivering this in like, you know, three months time and you want it now. I haven't thought about it. I haven't researched it. Um, so that, that's just a really different ways of thinking. Um, and we don't know how long this COVID going to be with us. It's, it's a good time to actually start thinking. Um, yeah. Trish? Uh, yeah, so what I was going to say was um, getting back to your thing about clear instructions or what I would say um, uh, expectations. So, um, I really agree with you on that. I think that's um, really, really important. And as you say, it um, uh, you know, diminishes a lot of queries and um, misunderstandings and those kind of things. But I think the really important part of setting clear expectations is sticking to it. Because um, that is something that I hear a lot, <laughs> just smiling there, hear a lot from people, you know, that um, they expect that students are going to do the reading or they expect the students are going to do the activities or they expect the students are going to do whatever it is that they need to do. And then students don't do that, so they change their plan. And I think it's really important that you don't change the plan, that you stick to your expectations and that you keep going because they will come with you. You just have to draw that line in the sand. Mm. Yeah. So the, the, the second part of the question, which is what can institutions do about this? In, in, are they prepared enough in regards to online tutoring facilitation skills and, and the differences between face-to-face? -face? Um, what would you recommend a school or an institution does uh, to, in, in some ways to ensure that there's a high quality facilitation readiness for an upcoming semester? 
um, you know, uh, get positive feedback and reinforcement and um, in a, you know, safe space. I think that's really important because I think it's really challenging for people to move. And I think you'd be able to talk about this, Siri, about moving from being competent to being incompetent. And that's um, really what happens to teachers when they move from um, online, uh, move from face-to-face -face teaching to online teaching. They're going from somewhere where they're really comfortable and really know what they're doing to an environment where they're really uncomfortable and don't really know what they're doing. So um, supporting that transition, understanding that there is a transition and enabling people to make mistakes and learn as they go and then build their competency, I think is a really um, very important aspect of that readiness that you're talking about, Tom. Just tapping on being incompetent there, um, Trish, um, I've seen a post, it's a meme or, or something of a teacher, um, a math professor teaching for two hours using an iPad. Mm -hmm. And because he needed an iPad in order to write all the math expressions and formula, yeah. um, I think pro probably through Zoom. So he's not turning on, not allowing students to talk or he can't really see them or anything like that. His microphone was muted for the entire, like, from, I think the students say from 6.08 to 8 p.m. His microphone was muted the whole time and students were trying to contact him, like, by phone, by email, um, <laughs> gesturing it out. But because it's an iPad, I think you can't really see everything. You can only see your screen. So once he finished that and he changed it back and then talked to students and turned on the, all the microphones and then he's asked students if they have any questions, students say, Prof, your mind has been muted for the past two hours. Um, <laughs> and then me and my some other colleagues from the same uni was just asking ourselves, how can a teacher actually deliver something online for two hours without actually checking with the students at all? Um, so we thought, you know, being incompetent is, is something, it's almost like they're used to that, being in the classroom, just continuing with their lectures, writing formulas, um, turning, you know, from time to time, checking if students are still looking or they're still, you know, taking notes. Um, but online, this is a totally different skill set. Um, you know, stop every five minutes or 10 minutes to check with your students if that technology is working, if your technology is working, is something that they're probably not equipped to do. And because you know COVID comes very quickly, so everyone has been forced to move rapidly. There has not really been proper training for teachers and everyone just learn on the, on the go and then just learn on the job and learn from their mistakes and learn from someone else's mistakes. And it taps in, I think, to, to that whole concept of beyond being there. So what do you have to do differently when you're not there to make sure that it's going to work? Mm. And that's that's that reframing for, of, of sort of teaching, teaching on the screen and teaching through the screen kind of paradigm. This whole, well, you know, I, I always like to say, Curio, when we're talking to our clients and, and teachers, that only the mode has changed. So you can preserve your same teaching tactics and styles and facilitation tactics that you used in the classroom, have been using for 40 odd years that work really well for you. But be mindful that the, the tech has shifted and there will be elements that require upskilling and it requires us to experiment and go in and play around with Teams and Zoom. So we are comfortable because I think the comfortability with tech is the thing that we see the most as a source of anxiety for a lot of academics in particular. So if a, an institution can provide that support service, that's that's sort of, a, of, of paramount and immediate importance, I think. The, the second one would be the slightly different role that academics and facilitators need to um, 
need to occupy now, which which goes back to a theory, I think, of 2006, 2007, uh, Mishra and Kola, the TPAC model, which said that teachers no longer just uh, experts, subject matter experts and experts in a domain of knowledge. They also need to have some pedagogic knowledge and some technological know-how. And the technological know-how, as I mentioned, is, is of importance. But some of the pedagogic awareness, and I think now is pastoral. So it's checking in with students and perhaps even having conversations around, you know, mental health, uh, conversations around socio-emotional aspects of, of the student's experience, things like screen fatigue, is the, the load and appropriateness of the materials causing students to feel anxious if they're spending, you know, 16 hours a day looking at a screen, checking in with students in a way that's inquisitive, um, but also it's supportive. And that's probably a space that most academics haven't been in for quite some time. In fact, it might have been outsourced to student services or outsourced to a professional staff team, for example. So that's also a skill that would need to be developed. And I think that faculties and schools would need to talk to academics about how to have those conversations, but then also how to sort of um, embed that and infuse that in their teaching practice as a facilitation skill, that it's a dialogue, that it's an exchange and a conversation rather than a one way or unidirectional sort of lecturing style. This is a whole new way of, of teaching that's required and um, one that does demand a significant amount of empathy with, with your audience. Absolutely. I think and I think the other really important that thing about um, that, um, uh, um, the empathy is to be explicit about empathy, because um, empathy is a bit like feedback. Sometimes students just don't get it. And um, so you really need to kind of spell it out for them. And um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's very, um, very important, a really important quality, Tom. Yeah. I have a questions for you both. So I have this um a lot of my teacher friends, they feel really uncomfortable once they move online that all the students are turning off the um, camera and microphone. They felt like instead of being able to check how, how the students are responding to their questions and to whatever they're teaching, now they can, it's almost like talking to themselves. They cannot really gauge what is going on. Um, any tips for anyone in general? Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of the chat box. Um, I think chat box can be used like in so many creative ways and can give you so much information with very little effort and um, most people um, will um, come on board. Um, a lot of students for various reasons are quite nervous about cameras. I mean, I'm a bit ambivalent about this to be honest, but I think if that's the case, then we need to work with that. So don't worry about it too much. What are other ways that we can really get interaction happening and um, how can we gauge how they're going and I think you can really get an enormous amount of um, information just from even one or two word answers can really tell you a lot about what's going on with your students and that can give you a lot of guidance about how to move forward. I, I, I would adopt a similar approach and, and think about segmenting your online class into different sections where you explicitly remind students that this is the part where I expect cameras are on. Uh, this is the part that's perhaps not recorded and we will use this as a Q&A or a, a check-in or even if it's just conversations around assessment questions and whatnot. So it's both um, the carrot for students to to attend and ask questions about it, exams and assignments and things. But of course, uh, that may be an unrecorded section, but the expectation is, of course, then that the cameras and microphones are, are used in a Q&A type format. And of course, there might be a traditional lecture or delivery type aspect or segment of, of the class where it's okay for students if they want to, you know, passively some ways um, choose to, to consume that and turn their cameras off. I think the biggest thing for me is um, it's a challenge that we've heard 
across the world in all our geographies actually is around accountability and how to get how to get students doing their work in a, in a flipped way um, because we've lost that sense of um, feedback we don't see the confusion on their faces as, as we used to in, in a classroom and I think it's all about creating this sort of ecosystem I say ecosystem of accountability where you may have uploaded materials and 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 readings on on an LMS but unless, of course, you're doing something with those readings and you're actually you might it might be as simple as setting up a quiz or a short comprehension check. You have no real way of knowing if students fully understand and grasp the meaning of that. I would challenge most academics to then say, bring that into your synchronous live class and talk about those readings, ask students questions. It's OK to cold call. It's OK to ask students pointed questions and say, look, even warn them. Say next week I will be asking questions about this reading first thing. And I would like to hear your thoughts on it. And it will be a microphones on cameras on session. It's unrecorded. But of course, this is something that I think is of paramount importance. And you've got to be that explicit, I think. Um, yep. The other thing, of course, just to, to buttress that, is to go back to praise and, and reminding students that they've done a good job. So if a student has submitted something online or um, they've, they've contributed in the forum and they've done a great job, call it out and signal and, and use students' names and say, you've done a really good job, Siri, on that post. And I actually think it was a comprehensive summary of X, Y, and Z. And this is something that I think we may have lost over the past five to 10 years, which is because of the massification of teaching, not using student names as much as we should, or giving out praise at this sort of formative weekly, week by week level. So going back to those old, old tricks, I think is always a, a good idea. Oh, it's a very good idea. And I think, um, um, you know, being personal with students, I think that's really important too. Uh, um, picking up a little bit on what you were saying, Tom. So I often recommend to my tutors at the beginning of class, just have some chit chat. Just have some social chit chat. How was your weekend? You know, how are you coping with the COVID shutdown? Whatever it is that some, um, you know, how was football game? Normal stuff, you know, have your camera on, have your microphone on. And in lots of cases, students then become quite relaxed and they're quite willing to keep going. And um, because you've kind of, um, you know, and made it natural for them. The other thing that I think is really, really good for engaging people is getting them to do something. So if they're doing something, I've got students who use Miro boards and all these kinds of technologies. Students don't think twice about it. You know, they're in there, they're doing this, that and the other thing because they're engaged, they're doing stuff. So doing stuff is definitely um, a good idea. So it's almost like teachers, as teachers, we need to change our understanding of what engagement is in the online environment, that it's not going to be nodding or smiling back at you, you know, uh, it's going to be raising their virtual hands using Zoom or um, typing a couple of words on in the chat box or participating in different ways, discussion board, uh, mirror board or anything that is different. So it's, it's having that understanding that engagement is different now, but it doesn't mean just because your student doesn't turn on your microphone, their microphone or their camera doesn't mean they're not engaged with the materials and with you. We hope you enjoy this podcast series and we welcome your feedback through the various podcast platforms and channels or directly to Curio at hello at curio.co. Thanks for listening. And please send us through your feedback.